Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. How's it going? Thank you. I've got a fan. So how about joy? It's a, it's a mysterious beast, isn't it? It is for me. Maybe not for you. One of my favorite movies starts with a warning. And the warning is, this is not a love story. And I got to start you tonight with the same story. This is not a joy story. Okay. Yep, I got Moses out there. So growing up, my three brothers and I, we would play some seriously rough basketball. No blood, no foul type of ball. We had a saying that we shared and sometimes exhibited to each other. You go hard to the rack or you don't go at all. So the meaning for non-ball players is if you're going to commit to something, in this case driving to the basket, you commit completely. You sell out. That's what this is today. This will be raw and devoid of nuance. In my opinion, Satan has been winning for far too long. So today, street rules, no blood, no foul. So it seems like when I'm called to this stage that it always has to be in the vein of my greatest struggles. So it is with great pain and intense longing for joy that only Jesus' freedom can bring that I stand before you today. You better hang on for dear life. So what is joy? I've personally asked myself this question thousands of times over the years. So let's go to the scripture and see what it says. Proverbs 10.28 The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. 1 Peter 8, 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. This might be my personal favorite. Psalm 7123. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I, whom you have delivered. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, you notice the theme here, everything points us towards the Holy Spirit as a source of joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Just behind love is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. So when we look at this series of verses, it paints something of an exuberant picture, doesn't it? 
But I think the opposite perspective is that these verses focus on the pinnacle of joy and not the pain of the journey. So let me share a story of what joy sometimes looks like on earth. On March 27, 2017, my sister-in-law Jenna's brother, Braden, he was 16, he left Stark County High School to drive home like he did every day. So Braden worked on his family's farm every single day of his life. He loved it. That's what he lived for. So he's probably a little eager to get home. On that day, he rolled up to a stop and his foot slipped off the brake. A fertilizer truck coming through the intersection the other way in an instant sent him to be with his maker. This unspeakable tragedy set off a series of events that resonates still today. You see, what I witnessed in his mother was unimaginable grief, somehow mysteriously coupled with unspeakable joy. How could she possibly have joy in that moment? In those terrible hours, I believe a seed was planted in my mind that I didn't quite recognize at the time. These are some words that I wrote shortly after and sent to Jenna. Why'd you turn left? Take another second. Just one more look left. Your fields will wait. They always wait for you. Change the song another time, son. It's not your time, son. Please give him one more day, son. A stark tragedy befell us all around us. It surrounds us. No going back. Can't take it back. No control. Out of control. He's in control. Grace and tears and shattered wheels. It's a stark tragedy we can't help but feel. She knew before they spoke a mother's worst nightmare come true. This can't be. Someone else. Anyone else. So young. Too young. Through the grief, where does she find her peace? Inescapable joy. Weeping, graced by a smile. A stark tragedy befell us all around us. It surrounds us. No going back, can't take it back. No control, out of control. He's in control. Grace and tears and shattered wheels. It's a stark tragedy we can't help but feel. Speaking to the truck driver. You swerved right. It's not your fault. You did your best. Fertilizer on the ground spread around as heaven wept. It's tears on the ground. The sun shone down to put you in the ground. You stayed so others could hear. A faith that will grow. You stayed, but you're still so near. A stark tragedy befell us all around us. It surrounds us. No going back. Can't take it back. No control. Out of control. He's in control. Grace and tears and shattered wheels. It's a stark tragedy we can't help but feel. A stark tragedy, they say. Tragedy it is. No going back. Everyone here captive to hear. Say it again. Ears will hear. A beautifully stark tragedy will gladly bear. They finally have ears to hear. So these penned words were a nascent start to understanding that I had been asking the wrong question for so many years. For joy is not what, but who. It is the person of Jesus Christ through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. There is no substitute. Everything else that you might try 
is a facade, and I've tried them all. They're a cheap facsimile attempting to placate our flesh in the absence of the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as self-actualization. There is only Jesus. So at Brayden's funeral, amongst hundreds of mourners, the very beginning of a vow formed in my mind. I said, this boy would not die for nothing. If his mother Marilyn could find joy in its horrible midst, then I could find the courage to confront the decades of sin and deep pain in my family lineage, now firmly rooted in me. So I'm going to start from the beginning. So as a child, I had a profound fear of getting in trouble, unusually profound. Um, might be my three Enneagram, which I now know. But an overwhelming desire to please and a strict follow-the-rules-to-perfection household created a toxic formula which led me to hiding even the smallest missteps. I would watch a TV show that I knew I shouldn't be watching. I would play with my friend's BB guns, which I knew that my parents' virulently anti-gun home would not be okay with. I stole a baseball card when I was five. I did. I apologized for it about two weeks ago. <laughs> True story. The funny thing is, is that the friend that I apologized to goes, oh yeah, you remember the time that my little brother bent my King Griffey Jr. in front of us? I do remember that, yes. Thank you for deflecting. But to this day, I remember the things that haunted me as a young child that weighed on my conscience on a daily basis. I, I lived in perpetual fear of being found out, found out, before I was even 10 years old. So these things may seem trivial 30 years in the past, but I can easily identify them as the planted seeds of generational sin. They started me down a path of isolation, loneliness, and sheer agony. I desperately wanted to confess to someone, but the simple reality is that I did not anticipate receiving grace, but rather condemnation and punishment. Whether that was entirely accurate in my 8, 9, 10-year-old mind or not. So this is certainly not intended as a rebuke for my parents or an excuse for my actions. I take full responsibility for the things that you are hearing today. This is a simple warning to parents and especially spouses in the room. Fear of condemnation is the root of secrecy. Secrecy and isolation are the breeding ground for Satan's work. As a parent, you should be aware that this starts at an incredibly young age. I would suggest as young as two or three. I won't suggest it. I know it's true. It was true for me. If the rules of your household are more pronounced than the grace offered, you could be laying the foundation of secrecy in your children or spouse. For you see, hidden sin lays the foundation 
of generational sin. Generational sin results in religious pride and rules-based faith at very best and death and destruction at its worst. So my first exposure to pornography came around age 12, well before I was even physically or mentally developed. I was hooked immediately. It was like heroin coursing through my veins. I didn't even know what I was watching. I just knew I had to have it to live. So this addiction grew until it gripped my entire life. By the time I was in early high school, I was completely alone and isolated. I woke up alone. I did my schoolwork in my room completely alone. I watched porn alone. I cried myself to sleep alone. I was totally and utterly desperate. My relationships were a disaster across the board. My perspective of women was completely tainted. I had not told the truth to anyone in years, and that became decades. I began to build a facade around what I believed I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to live and act as a Christian, and it was completely artificial. It was totally rules-based, and I kept none of them. Crippling depression started in junior high and grew throughout high school. I can say with complete sincerity, I did not feel a single ounce of joy my entire high school life. Thoughts of suicide started around 14 or 15, escalating throughout my life into my early and mid-20s, where plans to bring my own end started taking real form. By the time Blake and I got married at 26, I was certain I wouldn't see my 30th birthday And I often express that to people. I knew my end was near. By this point, I was thinking about suicide every day, if not multiple times an hour most days. I had absolutely no idea what love was. My mind was completely numb. I knew Blake was my best friend. I also knew I'd lose her. I'd been unfaithful to her. I'd been unfaithful to everyone in my life, for that matter. I'd lay in bed every night and beg for the end. My mind was a broken loop, laid waste after decades of waging war with porn, shame, and self-hate. In the morning, I'd wake up. I'd drag myself out of bed, go to work, with be productive ringing in my mind as my single driving force. I once had pneumonia and very nearly died and still went to work every day, and that was why. But the things that would run through my head, maybe some of you can relate with this, maybe not, I don't know. Justifications about what my siblings would tell my nieces and nephews about their uncle who wasn't here anymore. I imagined that they could tell those too young to remember that I died in a car wreck, like Braden. 
I concocted the idea that Heidi could tell Wilder Isaac that he was named after Isaac Schaefer instead of me, which actually felt convenient. So by 2017, I'd come to a crossroads. Either confess and bear what may come, or take my own life. I was certain I'd eventually work up the courage to choose the latter, because it was the easier way out. It was Braden's death that gave me a moment of pause. A desperate last chance to reflect on what the source of his mother's joy was. What did she have? In July of 2018, Blake went to the Bethel School of Worship for two weeks, of which I spent most of the time trying to build up the courage to kill myself. My cowardice wanted to do it while she was gone, so somebody other than her would find it. I can honestly say, thinking about what my nieces and nephews would have to be told and come to grips with about what their uncle did is what kept me out of the abyss. Always in conjunction with God's unending grace. Atlas David was born the day Blake got home from worship school. My best friend had had her first son. Never underestimate the role you or your children might play in someone's life. The next two months after Atlas was born were the final explosive assault of the war. I imagined myself at this point in the trenches of France facing Axis machine guns and certain death on the other side. I'd say to myself over and over and over, freedom is just over the wall. Climb out of the trench. It's just over the wall. Freedom is just over the wall. Around that time, this church attended a worship night at Northwoods, which featured John Bevere. Many of you probably remember that night. John spoke on hidden sin and shame very poignantly, and he asked people struggling to stand up. After the altar call, he paused, sensing the Holy Spirit, and said, There's one more I know there is and will wait. I knew that was me, but I could not stand. I missed that opportunity. It was either confession or suicide, there was no in between. Every day I'd beg God for another way. I was asking him to help me love what he loved and hate what he hated. I finally got to the point of hating what he hated. My hidden sin and the subsequent shame. So on a chilly morning in October 2018, 
I G-chatted Holly from my office and told her everything. I knew that Holly and I's bond could survive anything, but that was the only thing I was certain of. I sincerely believed the lie that my wife and the rest of my family would leave me for dead in the trench. I had already felt abandoned from decades before. In my estimation, I was completely unforgivable and I would never see my nieces and nephews again. Holly immediately told me that I was wrong. That Blake would forgive me. And also that I must tell her right away. I was afraid she would say that. But those words terrified me. Early the next morning, Holly and Atlas came to our house to provide support. I had written a letter, and we sat down at our counter with Blake, and I handed her the letter. Confessing decades of pain and debauchery and loneliness. I truly expected it to be the last day of our marriage. I was completely unfamiliar with the concept of grace. It did not even register as an option in my mind. What happened next forever changed my perspective of Jesus Christ on the cross. Blake leapt out of her chair and held me as I shook from fear and pain. It was the first time I had told the truth in 20 years. And rather than finding a machine gun on the other end, I found the grace of Jesus Christ shining through his merciful servant, Blake. There's something you need to know. Confession is just the first act. The real work comes afterwards. The rest of 2018 and 2019 were the hardest years of our lives in marriage, even harder than the decades of depression as we worked towards rebuilding a shattered marriage. I sought counseling. I had an endless series of conversations with those around me that I trusted. And we fought our way across the battlefield together. This message and some of the things that I've done leading up to this message are the summation of this great war. But I've learned something since that day. Maybe I learned it that day. I want every person in this room to listen very closely, which you already are. It is grace that plants the seed of hope. And from hope springs forth joy. Grace can only be offered to the extent we have fully accepted Jesus' grace on the cross ourselves. The person of Jesus Christ is grace. And by grace, we may have hope. 
Grace plants the seed of hope, and from hope springs forth joy. So I told you at the beginning that I must always stand up here and tell you about my greatest struggles. So there it is laid bare. There are choices and repercussions that I'm still working through to this day, but God's grace has been so full, and I have found hope. This isn't in my notes, but it just strikes me that I must say it. We must have more of this. We must lay bare the things that have bound us. Allow me to shift gears and talk about what I believe is the root of these struggles. When I was a kid, I had a recurring dream, something of a nightmare, about walking into a dark or dimly lit room. I had this several dozen times. And when I walked into that room, I would see nothing but a faucet slowly dripping in that most annoying way possible. But it wasn't until a few years ago, I'd never told anybody this dream. It didn't mean anything to me. It unsettled me, but it didn't mean anything to me. A few years ago, Blake told me that she had an identical recurring dream growing up. So we looked into it. You know what the translation of a slowly dripping faucet in your dreams is? It is a warning of the Holy Spirit being quenched in your environment. The Holy Spirit is the wellspring of all life. And this was God telling us as children that the source was cut off. You see, sitting in this seat, I can see things now. And what I see is I see this entire region oppressed by the principality of spiritual arrogance, power, and control. Decades of the pride of man building up rather than the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It has become a boys' club. Weaponizing scripture to justify misogyny as they control, manipulate, and abuse those around them. They are more concerned with their own rules and hegemony than they are Jesus' grace and the salvation of lost souls. I have nothing but my own failures to offer as proof, but I believe hidden sexual sin is the root cause of allowing this principality dominion over this region. It is far easier to call someone you don't know a heretic than it is to lower yourself and continually expose your own sin in humility. If you're in the habit of condemnation, of criticizing other ministries or leaders, of gossiping about those around you, which I hear every day, of placing your own theology and superiority to whatever you fictitiously believe 
someone else's may be, you're living in sin. It is likely that your spiritual pride is actively suppressing or quenching the Holy Spirit. It is pride, and it will be our downfall if we don't cut its head off. Pride and the love of our own flesh are the deadly ingredients of hidden sin, broken relationships, and suppression of the Holy Spirit. There is only one way forward, and it is through the humility shown in confession, regardless of cause or consequence. There is a simple reality. If you don't have joy, you don't have the Holy Spirit. The same is true in the inverse as well. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have joy. Everything I'm saying here tonight is only because I've experienced it. But if you're a believer and you don't have the Holy Spirit, you aren't walking the narrow path. Many will knock and few will have the humility to enter. I think I just added to the scripture. That might be a problem. (laughs) Levity. Let me be clear, though. I am speaking to those that care more about their own dogma and theology than the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The Lord says, you are quenching the Holy Spirit. You don't need me to tell you the penalty of your ways. Repent now. Plead with the Lord to spare you his holy wrath. Stop making excuses. Come to the cross and beg for forgiveness from God and those around you that you have oppressed for so long. We're going to come to a close. But I want to give you the chance to respond. If everyone could please bow your heads. It's going to be for an extended time. Maybe there is hidden sin or bitterness in your life. Or maybe you are or have been a spiritual oppressor, continually believing your answers are better than Jesus' answers. I can tell you from personal experience that there is no other way to find breakthrough than laying it right here at the altar. Let me encourage you with David 
reminding us in the Psalms of the promises of God. Psalm 35. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 71, 23, for the second time. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. I, whom you have delivered. And from John, John 15, 11. I have told you that this is, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. John 16, 24. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And to those of you who may be on the receiving end of confession tonight or later this week, I beg you to remember this. Grace plants the seed of hope. And from hope springs forth joy. Remember the incredible grace and tenderness that Jesus gave Blake and my sister in those moments. Remember that grace is what Jesus died for. You may have to deal with inexpressible pain and grief, but even still, it is grace that plants the seed of hope. I'm going to close in prayer. And with every head bowed, you have an opportunity to respond and break the cycle. fit either of these categories, one of hidden sin and shame, or one of spiritually oppressing those around you, do not wait any longer. Come to the altar during this prayer. If you're listening on the podcast, stop what you're doing and confess climb out of the trench and run to the grace offered by Jesus Christ. Jesus, Father, thank you for your unending and unimaginable grace. Thank you for dying to cover our sin and shame. Thank you for sending me, Blake, a partner I never deserved. So willing to teach me so much about your character, starting with unspeakable forgiveness. Father, please overwhelm this room with your grace grace that plants the seed of hope, the type of hope from which springs forth joy, 
bring this room tonight a supernatural spirit of forgiveness and compassion. Forgive us, Father, for the spiritual pride and oppression we've carried for so long. Break the chains of religion that bind this region. We ask for your Holy Spirit to fill this place, this town, this state, this region, and this country. We invite joy into our hearts and minds. Joy that can only come from your Holy Spirit. We love you, Father. You are so good to us.